0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: All right, folks. Yes, it's that time again. It's time for What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. Today, it is my very great pleasure to introduce the eminent Dr. Walter Willett, who is a professor of epidemiology and nutrition at the Harvard School for Public Health. He is also a professor of medicine at the Harvard Medical School and the author of Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy, the Harvard Medical School Guide to Healthy Eating. He's also one of the principal investigators on the Nurses' Health Study, one of the longest- Oh, sorry, one of the largest long-term studies to look at the effect of diet on health. Dr. Willett has published over... 1,500 articles primarily on lifestyle risk factors for heart disease and cancer and has written the textbook Nutritional Epidemiology published by Oxford University Press. Dr. Willett is the most cited nutritionist internationally and is among the five most cited persons in all fields of clinical science. He is a member of the Institute of Medicine of the National Academy of Sciences and the recipient of many national and international awards for his research. He's here today to talk about the dairy industry, um, which has obviously been a focus of his um, probably over a long part of his career. And I am just thrilled to welcome him to the show. Dr. Willard, thank you so much for joining me today.
4: Well, thank you, and good to be with you.
3: It's great to have you. So um, let's start with a little bit of a history of how we, uh, as consumers, we were uh, sort of encouraged to drink three glasses of milk a day, or, you know, milk became the superfood uh, that so many of us, certainly baby boomers, grew up believing in. Um, so I'm hoping you can sort of give people a thumbnail sketch of how that came about. It was sort of like a, a post-war, post-World War II phenomenon, was it not?
4: Uh, it was, um, although, of course, dairy has been at the center of uh, diets in northern European cultures for uh, for hundreds of years. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, dairy production allowed people to live and survive in cold, harsh climates where they could make uh, cheese over the winter and have a, a food supply and uh, uh, Kill the animals uh, during February and March when there wasn't much else to eat so uh, there there's a deep uh, culture survival aspect as well as uh, especially after World War II, a strong belief that inadequate protein was uh, a major crisis in American diets,
3: really is that right? And so didn't the USDA sort of team up and and um with other groups and start promoting dairy, like I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the very many advertising campaigns that certainly I grew up with. And of course, everybody is, you know, who's been alive since 2001 probably is, remembers uh, the Got Milk campaign. I mean, there was a very large concerted effort to, to make dairy, um, even more of a sort of aspect of a healthy diet than it had been over the course of the hundreds of years you, you have already cited. Um, it, was, it was really kind of a marketing campaign that brought it um, along to be the big, uh, industry that it is now. Isn't that right?
4: That's true. And, and uh, actually, dairy's been a, a big part of my life for a long time, Since mm-hmm. uh, actually for generations. So Willets were dairy farmers in Michigan. And uh, I grew up uh, in Wisconsin and, and Michigan, and there it was not three servings a day. We had uh, four servings a day <laughs> oh my of, uh, of, of milk uh, uh, when I was growing up. Uh, but uh, there has been a combination of, I think, uh, well-intended uh, nutritional expertise Experts and but also very powerful economic forces. The uh, dairy industry is very powerful, and uh, these uh, promotions have been uh, heavily funded by the dairy industry, and uh, the Department of Agriculture has been in a position of uh, promoting dairy uh, because part of their mission is to uh, promote consumption of um, American farms. Yeah, absolutely. So there's an intertwining of uh, industry, uh, dairy industry, uh, economic interest, uh, and uh, agricultural science, uh, the government, um, uh, that makes it pretty complicated.
3: It is pretty complicated. Um, so, can you talk about, for example, in the dietary guidelines that were promoted by the USDA, either through the food pyramid or the newer MyPlate schemata, um, it still maintains dairy in a major position of power, despite um, your research and other researchers that say that much dairy is maybe not so great for consumers?
4: Yep, definitely, uh, the role of dairy there has been, uh, uh, real front and center in terms of, uh, dietary advice, uh, by the dietary guidelines, uh, primarily from the Department of Agriculture, uh, the Pyramid, uh, the MyPlate. Uh, and uh I, I, first of all it, it really is important to say that uh, this is a complicated issue because uh dairy is not like soda where it's there's mm-hmm. no nutritional value only mm-hmm. harm uh, uh dairy does have essential nutrients uh milk is designed to be the sole food of young mammals including people for their uh first months of their life uh but of course it's not uh, natural in uh, most situations that uh, we uh, Mammals continue to consume uh, milk uh, throughout their life, and particularly in the large amounts that we're asked to do. Uh, so the evidence on uh, dairy and health is actually uh, complicated as well, uh, not surprisingly because it, uh, it, uh, dairy contains many essential nutrients, uh, but it also contains a lot of uh, growth factors that are, again, aimed at accelerating the growth of young mammals. And it's, whether that is necessary or even perhaps harmful, uh, particularly for cancer risk throughout our life, has uh, been a question now. There's some data to suggest that there are some harms of high mm-hmm. dairy consumption, but there are also some benefits. So uh, finding the, the right role of dairy has been a challenge. I, I think, though, that putting all the evidence together, the large amounts, say three or more servings a day that are being promoted I do come with some uh, actual hazards.
3: Would that be? <clears throat> excuse me. Hazards? You mean like so, like a high cholesterol intake, or 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 is it just the additives in milk? You know, in commercially produced milk that might have, say, the growth hormone, the the what is it? The B. I, I'm, I'm blanking. The on somatotropin,
4: B S T Yes, yes. Yeah, right. Uh, th- those do raise some concern, but actually, those hormones are naturally present. In milk and quite substantial amounts, anyway. And there is concern uh, because, uh, particularly related to cancer risk, uh, because cancer is basically a disease that's related to rapid multiplication of cells. Mm. And the likelihood of a mutation becoming uh, multiplied is greater if you're making your cells multiply. If you're sort of accelerators uh, to the floor uh, in terms of making cells uh, uh, multiply mm-hmm. and so there is actually some evidence uh, really coming from many different studies showing that there that high dairy consumption is related to elevated risks of prostate cancer and quite possibly endometrial cancer really well wow. on the other hand there's some evidence also of a lower risk for colorectal cancer but that's uh, very likely coming from calcium. Uh, oh. And you could likely get that same benefit from taking a calcium supplement that has no saturated fat, uh, no no cholesterol, and uh, no calories and costs a lot less.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, there is that too, right? You know, <clears throat> you just spoke of some studies. And I, I, I wondered because, <clears throat> you know, I often look, um, as I have been instructed by Marian Nestle, I, I frequently check to see who funded studies. Um, for, you know, various things. And, um, you know, there is a a huge amount of um, money has been invested by the dairy industry in promoting the health benefits of dairy consumption. So I was curious, you know, from from a university standpoint, is it hard to find funding for studies that may not support that rosy view of cow's milk and um, is it, for instance, difficult for researchers to publish if your views happen to differ from the you know, what the dairy industry would like uh, you to consider accepted wisdom?
4: Uh, I don't think that's been too much of a problem in this case. I, in really? general, uh, funding by industry has been a complicated, uh, difficult issue, but uh, most of our work has been funded by studies that weren't specifically looking at dairy, but we're looking more broadly. Mm -hmm. diet and health outcomes. So uh, that's uh, been possible to do. I I would also note that, of course, the primary justification for high dairy consumption has been that we need a lot of calcium to prevent uh, fractures uh, later in life in particular. And uh, that evidence is really very weak. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary that uh, we don't need all that calcium and that High dairy consumption prevents uh, fractures. Uh, and there's been a uh, an enigma, a, parad- a paradox for many decades. Uh, if you look around the world, it's actually the high dairy-consuming countries are the countries that have the highest fracture rates, and the countries really? that consume almost no milk or little milk actually have low fracture rates, uh, which... Uh, there is multiple possible explanations for that but it's very strong evidence that high dairy consumption is not necessary to have low fracture rates
3: that that's going uh, to be a huge blow to the people i know <laughs> well, who you know ingest vast amounts of at least calcium supplements in a hope that they will avoid fractures in their future uh
4: Yes, it's pretty uh, uh, some modest supplements may be helpful for some people but if they're not consuming any dairy at all but uh the studies on calcium requirements that have been used in the United States are studies that actually last only uh, 2 or 3 weeks and that's a very short time compared to lifetime calcium supplement fracture risk. In right. fact, uh, without going into the details, those very short studies are uh, likely to give you misleading and wrong, wrong answers. The World Health Organization has looked at this issue, and they've concluded that 500 milligrams of calcium a day is adequate intake, not 1,200 milligrams that is said to be necessary uh, in the United States. Uh, and, and even more for some, women, right? There uh, intertwining of economic uh, interests that have uh, influenced the recommendations in the United States because if you say you need 1,200 milligrams, it's pretty hard to get there without quite a bit of dairy consumption. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we actually <clears throat> don't need all that calcium. And these uh, uh, part of the evidence is uh, these low rates of fractures in places that don't consume milk. But we've also, uh, many people have looked at dairy consumption and fracture risk uh, later in life. Uh, some studies show a little bit of reduction, but other studies show an increase. And when you put them all together, uh, there's basically no uh, relationship between high dairy consumption mm-hmm. and, and fracture risk in the overall evidence. We've so, also looked at this uh, milk consumption during adolescence, and there, uh, in particular, there's an emphasis: you really need to have a lot of dairy and calcium to build up healthy bones and prevent fractures later in life. Well, uh, it doesn't really work that way. That uh, the your bones are not like a big calcium bank that just stays with you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've actually seen that uh, there is no benefit to high dairy consumption uh, for fracture risk later in life. Uh, if we refer, uh, high, no necessity of high dairy consumption during adolescence. And in fact, the boys who had high dairy consumption actually had higher risk of fractures than uh, the boys with lower dairy consumption.
3: How do you explain that?
4: Well, uh, part of it is that lo- dairy consumption, as I mentioned, is growth promoting. Yeah. And it, it does accelerate the growth of bones and makes, that, like, longer legs, longer bones in our legs, makes oh. us somewhat taller. And we know that being taller is a strong risk factor for fractures uh, later in life. And so, uh, because of its uh, growth promoting effect, milk uh, uh, you know, does make people taller, and that it looks like. That explains uh, in part why least may impact most of, of uh, perhaps the excess risk for fractures later in life. Uh-huh. Uh, also, uh, we know that being tall is a risk factor for many cancers, and that's uh, part of the evidence that does make us concerned about uh, factors that accelerate uh, growth and make people taller.
3: Fascinating, I'm telling you, Doctor Willett, you are just upending everything my pediatrician ever told me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when are they going to get the good news? <laughs> I mean, I remember my daughter's pediatrician telling me when she was little. Well, why isn't she drinking three glasses of milk a day? I'm like, because she doesn't like it.
4: <laughs> okay, well, you're doomed. <laughs> I know,
3: and I felt but so you're not guilty. Too, yes, yeah. and she's very tall, by the way. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, interesting.
3: So she clearly didn't need the extra milk. You know uh, what I mean? Right. Yeah.
4: Yes. That uh, it, uh, it it's, uh now that doesn't say milk should be zero, but uh, right. these very high levels uh, that have been are pushed are almost for sure not necessary and uh, probably come with some hazards.
3: Yeah. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So um, let's move on because about I wanted to ask you about the fact that um, you know because there's the whole industry of low fat milk. 2% milk, 1% milk, skim milk, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, all of that really kind of came about because as we discovered uh, a year or so ago, and I know you would <laughs> you would obviously remember this being at Harvard, um, that, I mean, I mean, I know you weren't then, but but having this little scandal that broke last year, and then I guess it was in the 1950s, early 60s, there were researchers at Harvard who had accepted uh, funding for studies from the sugar industry um, that would show that fat was the culprit in poor health outcomes and that sugar was essentially benign. And um, that thinking has undergone a sea change um, in the last year and a half, I would say. Um, And now it's all about healthy fats. And I I wondered how dairy fits into the sort of healthy fats profile.
4: Uh, Yes, uh, that dairy is not in the healthy fat category, uh, because it is pretty high on saturated fat. It's about 60, 65% saturated Mm -hmm. fat. And uh, if you compare uh, dairy fat with uh, plant oils like olive oil or canola oil or soyabinoa, uh, those plant oils definitely uh, reduce your blood cholesterol and, and most specifically the bad form of cholesterol, LDL, mm-hmm. compared to dairy fat. And, and we've looked at this also in our long-term studies uh, where we're not just looking at cholesterol levels but looking at uh, heart attacks and stroke and uh, that uh, replacing Uh, Dairy fat with uh, more unsaturated plant oils is clearly related to lower risk of heart attacks and strokes. So that that dairy fat is uh, definitely not an optimal fat for a diet. Uh, In fact, um, Finland actually in studies done in the 1950s and 1960s had the highest rates of heart disease in the world. And they also had very high dairy consumption. They had about uh, 18% or so of their Uh, Calories from dairy fat, and because of the evidence, even back that at that time, pointing uh, to the harms of high dairy fat consumption Mm. and uh, relative to the benefits of uh, olive oil or other plant oils, uh, Finland went on a national campaign to reduce dairy fat consumption. Uh, They encouraged their farmers to plant berries and uh, and uh, plants uh, and uh, basically canola oil, which comes from rapeseed, instead of growing cattle and producing milk. And their dairy fat intake went down about 83%, from about 18% down to less than 4% of calories. And their heart disease rates dramatically reduced about 85% also. They did some other things that wasn't the only change they made, but that yeah, reduction in dairy fat was by far the biggest change. It had a dramatic impact.
3: Yeah, that's remarkable. Uh, like
4: cholesterol levels.
3: Yeah, well, of course, we would never have one of those campaigns, I guess, in this country because then that would mean that the government and, uh, was interfering in our... the way we're set up to run, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, we don't want any of that nanny state stuff. Right, <laughs> that would be really right. bad. Um,
4: we want to promote uh, dairy fat consumption, and the Department of Agriculture has a whole branch That is out to promote cheese consumption.
0: Well,
3: I was going to ask you about cheese because,
4: yeah, with one uh, side of their mouth, they they're saying reduce saturated fat. The Mm -hmm. other side of their mouth, they're promoting cheese consumption.
3: Well, they and they also because this is through the checkoff programs, right? This is through right.
4: Right, that funds some those, of those uh, promotion campaigns yeah. by the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. yeah, got
3: the Got Milk campaign, for example, was from the Dairy Checkoff, and that means that for every just for listeners who don't know what Checkoff programs are, they exist throughout agriculture, um, in terms of livestock. Anyway, I don't think they exist in any other forms of agriculture, but for the meat, poultry, pork, and dairy industries. Um, sorry, Dr. Will, I'll just quickly explain this. Um, a little bit of money is skimmed off of every pound or every quart or whatever pound of milk, um, and that goes into this marketing campaign that is administered by the USDA. And there's a lot of people in the in the agricultural communities, um, who generally people who are sort of alternative type producers who really resent that. But anyway, we digress, but I just want to make sure that people understood that. Um, So I I wanted to talk, uh, I'm going to digress again, again, and ask you about the nurses study, because of course, um, you have been, uh, you know, seminal in that, in that long term study, which I think began in the 1970s. Isn't that right? Yes, 1976. Right? And so what, were, what have you seen in terms of, or have you been able to isolate dairy consumption with health outcomes within that study, or is that too specific, um, you know, sort of a thread to follow?
4: Now, we have looked at dairy consumption in relation to uh, many different uh, um, outcomes, uh, heart disease, cancer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it's a... Uh, it Again, it is a little bit complicated. We don't. What we see is that dairy consumption, if you just look at it, sort of compared to everything else, it doesn't look like there's any benefit, major benefit, or any major harms. But if you mm-hmm. compare, uh, say, protein coming from uh, dairy uh, versus protein coming from plant sources. Uh, uh, such as nuts and legumes and soy products, uh, definitely uh, cardiovascular disease and total mortality is better, is lower coming uh, from when when our protein comes from those plant sources compared to dairy sources. So it all depends on what you're comparing mm-hmm. dairy to. It looks if you're comparing it to protein uh, sources from beef, uh, and dairy looks a little bit better, not very much, but. Uh, better than beef, but not as good as plant-based protein sources.
3: And what about cheese, Dr. Willett? I'm a card-carrying cheeseaholic. <laughs> that, I mean, I don't drink milk, but boy, do I like to eat cheese. So am yes. I Am I well, shortening I my say, lifespan now?
4: Uh, find cheeses you really like and have them in modest amounts.
3: Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think you, that's possible. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, you can constrain yourself, I'm sure, if you really have some good cheese and appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> a, little, uh, a little wine that um, that we, again, it doesn't, uh, cheese, uh, it does not, is related to higher risks of uh, major health outcomes if you compare it to plant sources. But it doesn't mean that we have to go to zero cheese consumption and I uh, think keeping it modest. But uh, unfortunately, uh, if you look at uh, what Americans are eating now, mm-hmm. uh, we are being fed vast amounts of, uh cheese uh basically just like You yourself, um, uh, milk consumption has gone down, but it's been replaced by cheese consumption.
3: Yeah, well, that brings me to my next question because I wanted to talk about. um, You know, I think we all recognize that, for instance, uh, the government has had a hand in encouraging fast food outlets to add more and more cheese. I'm thinking of like cheese-stuffed pizza crust. um, You know, cheese on practically every possible fast food combination that you can imagine, and and that's because dairy is a gigantic industry in the United States. uh, Both both for domestic consumption as well as for export. And so I was hoping you might be able to discuss a little bit the influence of the industry on government uh, for subsidies for dairy and for marketing dairy abroad. Like, uh, you know, how much uh, do you have a sense of how much the industry pressures um, the USDA and, uh, and, you know, legislators to kind of push... Uh, both uh, marketing dairy abroad as well as pushing it onto consumers more than is necessarily good for them?
4: Uh, Well, clearly dairy is a very powerful lobbying influence, and they mainly work through Congress to pressure the Department of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. uh, And their influence is very disproportional to the population in the United States. And uh, uh, I just once had uh, lunch with George McGovern, who uh, you may remember. uh, Of course. Massachusetts was the only state that voted for him for president and yeah. would have been a much better country if he had won. <laughs> but, um, I campaigned anyway, for him as a the teenager. the governor explained <laughs> to me that this is baked into the U.S. Constitution but essentially because we have two senators from every state and many sparsely uh, populated states get just as many senators as uh, California and New York. Right. Uh, and those uh, many of those uh, sparsely centered states have strong dairy uh, interests. So they have a powerful uh, influence way beyond the population that, that uh, they represent. Uh, and so uh, it, uh, this is manifested in many ways, including price supports for dairy uh, uh, and many other forms of subsidies, uh, and, uh, of course, strong promotion of uh, dairy products for export. Uh, so this is uh, not necessarily good for health. That's not uh, the motive. It's, uh, it's pure and simple economic Mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, there's another aspect, uh, I think, it is that's Im- important to consider, and that's the environmental impacts of what we eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, dairy con- production and even somewhat more so beef conduct- uh, production have uh, by far the biggest uh, environmental footprints, uh, especially greenhouse gas production, yeah. uh, compared to other sources of protein or, or calories. And uh this, I think most people are aware now that uh, 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 greenhouse gas production and global warming is a huge threat to our children, our grandchildren, uh, in terms of essentially the viability of life on Earth. And uh, we, so the, the impacts on health of, of dairy are not just the direct impacts on what we immediately put in our mouth but also uh, uh, effects operating through environmental influences that in the long term, of course, do affect human health uh, very importantly.
3: Oh, of course. I mean, we're looking at it right now in Cape Town, South Africa, which is due to run out of water in about six weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So there's That's there's a yeah, there's a, a there's a glowing British. example writ large right. of what's going to happen thanks to climate change. We're going to take a short break right now and we'll be right back with Dr. Walter Willett, a professor of epidemiology at the Harvard School for Public Health, um, to talk more about dairy and um, its influence on how we live. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and on the line with me today is Dr. Walter Willett, a professor of epidemiology and medicine, excuse me, at both the Harvard School of Public Health and the Harvard School of Medicine. Um... Dr. Willett, let's talk a little bit more about sort of our export business because um, you know I wrote a book about meat consumption, or I wrote a book about the meat industry, and um, in fact that's how we met because I was at the um, at the Readable Feast in Boston because my book right. was in that thing. So anyway, um, but one of the things that was really fascinating about doing the research on this book is how people are around the world are adopting essentially a version of the American diet. Um, much to their uh, detriment in many ways, including the environmental impacts that you just described in the uh, before the break. But <clears throat> you know, it's like it, the increasing consumption of meat is a symbol of middle class advantage in developing developing countries, and it's an aspirational part of the diet. And so, I'm wondering if dairy. Is filling a similar similar role in some countries. I know the Indian population is tends to be big dairy consumers, but in in uh, Asia and Southeast Asia, they don't e- eat a lot of dairy food, but they are consuming a lot more meat. And I'm wondering if you have seen, uh, you know, in your work, uh, an uptick in dairy consumption in countries like that, and a commensurate uh, level of some of the diseases that we face in this country because of our diet.
4: Um, yes, uh, the Consumption of dairy products is going up in many countries around the world, of Mm -hmm. course, being strongly promoted uh, by uh, our government and uh, some other uh, agencies as well. Uh, In Japan, actually, dairy consumption has gone up hugely. Mm. Uh, They were uh, naturally uh, not consuming um, uh, dairy products much at all. Uh, But after World War II, there was a huge push to increase dairy consumption. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Japanese women are much, much taller than their parents are, almost uh, uh, surely a, a major part of that increase in height is due to the large increase in, uh, in dairy products. Uh, and uh, so if you walk in downtown Tokyo today, you'll see women, uh, young women, you know, uh, almost six feet tall. It's amazing. Wow. Um, and, that, and we know that those women will have high fracture rates. Uh, interesting, they have not uh, gained weight like in the United States, so their body mass indexes uh, actually, on average, going down because they're taller but uh-huh. uh, but thin. And uh, uh, cancer rates are uh, many uh, rates of many cancers are skyrocketing: uh, colorectal cancer, uh, um, breast cancer, going way up. Um, uh, many of the same cancers that we have. Uh, it's likely that uh, dairy is fueling part of this. There's probably other factors going on as well, but. Uh, their rates of disease are changing uh, dramatically. Uh, they're still pretty healthy because they've managed to stay lean for uh, mm-hmm. uh, separate reasons, for deep cultural reasons, it seems. But um, their disease patterns are changing. And in China, uh, where there was essentially zero dairy consumption uh, until quite recently, uh, consumption is going up a lot. Much of that is actually some of it's produced by dairy cattle uh, in China, and we're actually exporting alfalfa from California to uh, China to feed their dairy cattle. But a lot of their dairy is coming from New Zealand at this point Mm. in time and having big impacts on the environment and on New Zealand, as I understand.
3: <clears throat> and yet, what's interesting is that in Europe and, say, even New Zealand, for example, because they have a lot of dairy there, um, it's a very popular uh, food group. And I'm, I'm just curious why Europeans aren't dropping like flies from eating so much milk and butter and cream and cheese and, you know, you name it. Dairy seems to be somewhere in the mix there in spite of the sort of emphasis on fruits and vegetables. Um mm-hmm. Which is also endemic to West, at least Western European diets, not so much in the in the British Isles, I think, but but where it's where vegetables are more readily available and fruits, it, it doesn't seem like they've gained all the weight that we have and, you know, have the same rates of cancers that we have. And I, I wondered what the explanation was for that.
4: Well, as you point out, there's lots of factors operating all at the same time. so yeah. Some of these comparisons are hard to make. But it's uh, quite clear that uh, really dairy-centric food production system and diet, uh, like Northern Europe had, I mentioned uh, Finland already, right. but uh, broadly across Northern Europe, it, that's clearly not an optimally healthy Food system or diet uh, compared to a Mediterranean-type diet, where there is some dairy, but it's a much less uh, a prominent part of the diet, uh, and uh, there's modest con- has been modest consumption of uh, cheese and uh, and yogurt, uh, but nothing like the uh, large amounts of dairy in Northern Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, as I mentioned, uh, even going back to work in the 1960s, uh, this was described by Ansel Keys and others that the major dairy producing areas had much higher rates of cardiovascular disease compared to mm. southern europe uh and uh, even within france uh one of my colleagues uh, there serge renault did a study looking at french farmers in northern france which was dairy centric yeah. compared to southern france which was more mediterranean and the rates of heart attacks were four times higher in the dairy centric farmers in, in northern france um, and uh, much of this is very directly related because uh, uh, dairy fat has been compared to, uh, uh, say, olive oil or more other unsaturated fats. And definitely there's reductions in uh, cholesterol and LDL cholesterol with, the more plant, with plant oils compared to dairy fat. And our long-term epidemiologic studies have shown the same thing when we're looking directly at uh, cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the good thing is that uh, in Europe, uh, many of the Uh, Northern European diets have changed their diets uh, more in the direction of the Mediterranean cultures and uh, reducing dairy fat intake. And heart disease rates have come down quite dramatically, Finland being the most dramatic example, where they had a, a really targeted program to reduce dairy fat.
3: Yeah, fa- uh, that was a fascinating anecdote. That particular thing, um, and I, you know, the French are quite they're quite vigilant about telling people what they what they should and shouldn't be eating. I think, um, and the Italians as well. I mean, that's where the whole slow food movement took you know root. Um, so it just seems as if you know other maybe it's because those nations are are pretty much homogeneous. Um, you know, it's easier to get those messages across, and and so that that actually makes me ask you the next my next question, which is about sort of how um, you know, with the government and the industry working together to promote you know a lot of consumption of dairy products. What wh- how, how do consumers balance um, the marketing? Um, versus what is actually best for their health outcomes. Because, you know, as I described earlier, you know, my pediatrician, you know, t- 15 years ago was telling me my daughter should be drinking, you know, quarts of milk a day. And I I'm, I suspect that that hasn't very largely changed. And I think, and even for... Um, for adult women, for example, it's proposed that we should consume something like 1,700 milligrams of, you know, past a certain age, you know, to avoid osteoporosis. And you've just debunked the fact that, that uh, or, the, or the belief that calcium, a lot of calcium supplements will help you steer clear of fractures. So, you know, how, how do people find out about this? Like, where, where is the balance, um, the balancing information for consumers who want to be, you know, really truly informed?
4: Well, that's uh, tough. Um, they listen mm-hmm. to your show, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I hope but, so. Uh, that, uh, it, and it's, uh, as you say, there's some very powerful forces. You have huge uh, industry marketing. And now, uh, because of basically reductions in funding for schools uh, and uh, very minimal nutrition education there, the material for teaching, Nutrition is mainly in many schools supplied by the American Dairy Association, and you can yeah. guess how dairy fits into their picture of recommendations. <laughs> of course, yeah. And you've got the Department of Agriculture uh, uh, promoting high uh, cheese consumption, and you've got the, the dietary guidelines, uh, which have been strongly influenced by uh, putting the dairy people on the guidelines committee over the years. Yeah, uh, uh, really keeping dairy at the center of uh, recommendations. Uh, so it's I think the poor consumer is uh, not getting a balanced picture of, of, the, of the role of dairy. Uh, I, so I, consumers need to be pretty proactive. It's, it's why partly one of the reasons why I wrote a book for the general public to really, uh, mm-hmm. when you mentioned Eat, Drink, and Be Healthy, yeah. uh, to uh, lay out the evidence and uh, give people the best available evidence about how um, dairy, among other things, fits into a healthy diet.
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, since we've had this discussion about that dairy is not the superfood that we, you know, many of us grew up thinking it was, what what, what should we say to dairy farmers who are really on the ropes, as it is, in terms of being able to maintain their profession, um, who's, you know, the price of milk is so low, that it's actually below the cost of raising of, you know, milking. Um, I mean, what's what's their future look like in your in your scenario? What do you think should happen with dairy farming?
4: Yeah, um, well, I'm pretty sympathetic with dairy farmers because I mentioned that so for where our family came from.
3: yeah
4: um, and uh, it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy life uh, and financially very uh, stressful. Um, yeah. that uh, I'm not sure that we need to immediately dramatically reduce dairy production. In the United States, Uh, and part of the reason is that now, uh, despite all that promotion of dairy, the average consumption in the United States is about 1.6 servings per day, not three, Uh which is being promoted. So uh, I think uh, we basically, going to three servings a day would mean we'd almost double dairy production in the United States, which Uh would have dramatic environmental impacts and, and not be a good thing for health. Either so uh, we we don't need a dramatic reduction in the United States, but I think uh, we backing off uh, consumption a little bit would be uh, good for the environment and uh, good for, um, uh, for for individuals as well. Uh, mainly, we need to not be pushing it as far as we can. So, and many people are consuming. Uh, Way too much cheese. One thing, you mentioned cheese is everywhere. I would suggest whenever you see cheese, think nuts. Uh, (laughs) Of course, there's some other options too, but virtually every salad has huge amounts of cheese. If you buy it in a restaurant or store, Uh, you know, cheese does not need to be in salad. And there's, uh, you know, many varieties of nuts that add flavor and texture and crunchiness and all and uh, a good alternative instead of a huge amount of cheese on a sandwich and it would be one thing if there was just a little slice of cheese but man, there's often an inch of cheese on a, on oh, a yeah. sandwich. Oh, yeah. That's just way too much. Um, and I uh, think peanut butter and other nut butters, almond mm-hmm. butter, there's lots of other options there uh, and instead of uh, 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 meatloaf, uh, you can make nutloaf and just many, many other options. So And they're much, much healthier. Nuts have positive health benefits. Yeah. So uh, we I think need to help uh, give people some options Um, and uh, we're working with food services uh, with the Culinary Institute of America trying to uh, bring information to food services along with uh, ways to incorporate healthier protein sources as, as options. Again, we don't need to eliminate dairy, but uh, um we do uh, need to back off, uh, particularly on this uh, large amount of cheese that many people are consuming.
3: Yeah. Well, we're going to have another discussion at some future date on things like meat substitutes. I hope you'll come back for that, um, because that's I think that's a very fascinating trend that is really gaining steam now. And I see that, you know, the big players in the industry, Tyson, Cargill, are investing heavily in things like the Impossible Burger Um And other meat substitutes, and I I think that's a very interesting um, trend that we should, you know, of all people, you'll be the one who's really able to sort of parse that out and explain the the benefits and the deficits of that of that change in our diet. And I I hope it continues, even though I love to eat meat myself, as I love to eat cheese.
4: Yeah, pick a very good piece of meat and have it now and then.
3: (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. Well, Dr. Willett, I have to wrap it up here, but I want to thank you so much. Uh, People can learn more about your work by going to the Harvard uh, School of Public Health website. Is that right? That's right. And um, do you have a website of your own or a Twitter feed?
4: No, I uh, don't get into that stuff.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I I knew that. (laughs) But I thank you so, so much for coming on the show and talking about this issue. Um, This is uh, part four of my series on dairy. I'm doing like, I don't know how many pieces I'm going to do, but you are the fourth one. Um, And it's, you know, it's sort of like an uh, an all over the map uh, look at the dairy industry as it exists today in the United States. And you've just given me a really important piece of that puzzle. So thank you so much for joining me today. And um, folks, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: So long.